All right. We're in Psalm 91. Psalm 91, if you're new or visiting this morning, we're doing the book of Psalms. And we're going through verse by verse. And uh, this morning is going to be very interesting, I think. And so let's go ahead and pray. Father, we we thank you for that time of, of worship in song and the time of worship in our, in our financial gifts. And Lord, we want to continue in our worship of you. This is not about Calvary Chapel. This is about your son. It's about you. It's about the Holy Spirit. So Father, I pray for wisdom. I pray for the gift of teaching. Lord, I pray for every heart here this morning, whether they're in this room or, or some other building, that you would touch that heart. That people, if they're, if they're old enough to realize that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, that they would repent and make that commitment this morning, that they would receive Jesus as their Savior this morning. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We are so blessed. We're spoiled, Father. We are spoiled. Thank you for the comfortable air conditioning and chairs and, and buildings and such, Lord. So, so help us not to become so comfortable that we're lackadaisical or lazy, lethargic. But as we even leave and go out into our mission field, may we be faithful ambassadors for Christ. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Psalm 91. You'll notice on this one, there's no title, no name of specific author. So as I mentioned last week, we are now in the hymnal book 4 of 5. Psalm 90 through 106 make up book 4. And they were compiled during those exile years in Babylon. And they may have been written at different times and by different human authors. There's only three mentioned in these psalms. But again, they were brought together to express the sorrow of heart or longing for yesteryears for the nation of Israel. You see, Israel has been taken captive, the northern tribes to Assyria, the southern tribes to Babylon. And Jerusalem and the temple have been destroyed, and with it, the ability... Now, for you and I, we, we just I don't think we can just appreciate this, but the ability to sacrifice has been taken away. That is huge. Very, very big. This was obviously devastating in various aspects. So, so let's study some more of these Psalms to see what was on the heart of these people, the Jewish captives. So verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. So let's look at some of the words here. In the Hebrew, he who dwells, those three words, they mean to sit, to sit, or to abide. To sit or to abide. In the secret place, in the secret place, they mean a covering or a hiding place. Jeremiah 7, 4. Do not trust in these lying words. Now, Jeremiah was that prophet who had zero converts, who was persecuted because he was telling the people in Jerusalem, repent or we're going to be destroyed. Repent or we're going to be destroyed. For 40 years, repent or we're going to be destroyed with zero converts. 
What a ministry, huh? Wasn't very successful. No, he did what God called him to do. Just proclaim the truth. And as we get into the study here, I'm sure I'm going to offend some people. But I'm not doing that intentionally. We're just reading the word of God and making sure that we're doing what we should be doing as ambassadors for Christ and not becoming politically correct. Or if you've been politically correct, remaining politically correct, but being biblically correct. Because the northern tribes in Jeremiah's day, the northern tribes had already been taken off the land a few hundred years. Already removed to Assyria. And God was warning the two southern tribes, you repent. But what they believed in their mind was they had the temple. And because we have a temple, the temple, the only temple in the whole world where God resides, there is no way that we're going to lose our land. It's impossible. And as you read about the southern tribes, they had a good king, a good king, a bad king, a good king, bad, bad, good, bad, good. Northern tribes had not one single good king. And as you're reading your history in the Bible, you'll even see where they brought the idols into, literally brought idols into the temple area and sacrificed unto Baal, Ashtoreth, and other pagan idols. But we've got the temple. We're okay. Nothing's going to happen to us. I'm making, I'm emphasizing that because it relates to today. It relates specifically to today. It relates to you and to me. So Jeremiah proclaims, do not trust in these lying words, saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. We've got the temple of the Lord. We can do anything we want because we've got the temple of the Lord. Hmm. You see, the main reason Israel was taken captive was because of idol worship. And instead of the temple being a place of worship, it became what was worshipped. What was worshipped. And the southern tribe, tribes, as I've already mentioned, believed that as long as they had the temple, they'd be kept safe. You know, obviously God dwells there. How could anything bad happen to us? But instead of maintaining a relationship with God that David and other kings had as examples to the flock, they said, no, we're going to do it our way. And they learned very quickly, not having that relationship, that they lost everything. They learned that the temple was not and was just a temple and religion in general. Judaism was was just as much as paganism. When you drive, when you get right down to the bottom of it. And have we seen this throughout religious history? Don't we even see this in our culture today? People will build beautiful edifices, temples or cathedrals, for example, telling others that their God dwells there. Let's look at Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, and read 24 through 32. Acts 17, 24 through 32. And as I share these scriptures, if you have young children or teens or older children, I really encourage you to write these verses down. And you'll see why in a few moments. Because they're not in here. Maybe they don't live nearby, but you get to talk to them every every now and then, and they have questions. Why do you go to church? Why do you believe your Bible? Well, Acts chapter 17, verse 24. Paul is preaching. 
God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Now, Paul, being a Pharisee, knew all about the first five books of the Bible. And he knew all about the temple because he lived when Herod's temple was on the Temple Mount. So he understood temple. He knew exactly what it was. And as a Pharisee, it was the most important structure in his life. So this isn't some guy off in the corner, you know, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about. No, no, he knows exactly what he's talking about. Notice what he says there. Does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. That's very important as we see in our culture the enemy, which he's going to continue to do, try to stir up strife, racial strife, in a mighty way in our nation right now, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So, why? So that they would seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devisings. Truly, these times of ignorance, and the word ignorance there is just unknowing, so not knowing, God overlooked, but now commands all man, men, and that word there is mankind, all of mankind everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man, and the man there would be Jesus, by the man whom he has ordained. He has given the assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Paul confirms that Jesus rose from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Back into Psalm 91. So Paul makes it very clear. And as we look at Psalm 91 and realizing that this is being written during the exile years, the temple is no more. We can read it and say, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He obviously cannot be talking about a temple because there is no temple. He's going back to a personal relationship. And that's what we stress here at Calvary is a personal relationship. And it's interesting, I have to minister the gospel throughout the week just like you do. And this week I got an opportunity. I got something in the mail that I'm going to share with you. And again, this is not to offend. Um, this is not to humiliate, embarrass, or any of that nonsense. It's to, it's to love. Guys, we have the truth, so we have to love people with the truth, with the Word of God. Not bash them with the Word of God, but love them with the Word of God. Which means we need to be in the Word of God so we can understand what the Word of God says. Well, somebody put me on a list. And I got an invitation from President Gary A. Smith of the Queen Creek West Stake of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
cordially invites you and your guest to attend a dinner, open house, and tour of the Sossaman Estates Meeting House. Friday, August 3rd, 2018, 7 p.m. Gives the address. RSVP crusted by Tom Duford. And so I'm like, okay, who put me on their mailing list? I want to know who did that because I will get even. <laughs> and so I didn't think anything of it. I sat in on my chair. I go, I'm going to present this to the flock. I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait. And I don't know what God's got planned, but I'm going to wait. And sure enough, Psalm 91. But on Wednesday, I got a call from Tom. And he goes, hi, this is, this is Tom. And I'm just checking to see if you got the invitation in the mail. I get a lot of mail, and it's on my chair, and it's under some stuff. I just kind of forgot about it. I'm thinking, well, I get a lot of mail. I'm not sure. What what are you talking about? He goes, well, my name's Tom, and I'm with the Latter-day Saints, and we sent you an invitation to come to the opening of our new ward on Power Road. I go, oh, hi, Tom. Let's talk. And we started a discussion. I mean, love, a loving discussion. Didn't bash him, didn't beat him up, didn't say, you know, dog Joseph Smith or none of that stuff. And I said, Tom, there's a problem. We don't worship the same God. Oh, well, yes, we do. No, Tom, we don't. We don't. Who is Jesus to the Mormons? Tom, who is Jesus to the Mormons? I know you know who he is. He's the spirit brother of Lucifer, Tom. Is that correct? Is that what your church believes, that he's the spirit brother of Lucifer? Well, yes, we do. I go, well, then that would make him a created being. That would make him equivalent to the angels. Then he's not God. No, Tom, Jesus is God. And I said, Tom, I want you, will you do me a favor after we talked for a while and and went around and he said, well, you know, I just appreciate it. Could I have so-and-so come to your church and talk to you? I go, you can have anybody you want come. But we're not going to talk about Joseph Smith. We're not going to talk about the Book of Mormon. We're not going to talk about Pearl Great Price. We're going to talk, not going to talk about doctrines and covenants. We're going to talk about the Bible. If you want to talk the Bible, I'll be more than happy to sit down and talk with you. Well, there's other people in the community that are coming, insinuating other Christians. I go, well, they're just not reading their Bible, Tom. I'm sorry about that, but they're not reading their Bibles. Because we don't worship the same God. I want to make that perfectly clear to you. You see, while in captivity, the psalmist realized that it is all about relationship and not about a building or a religion. And for us today, how can we answer someone when they say that we worship the same God? Would you be able to, and lovingly, would you be able to defend the faith with just a few scriptures, not an hour-long dissertation, but just a few scriptures, would you be able to defend the faith? If you think you can't, then I want to help you this morning. You see, it comes down to the simplicity of this. Who is Jesus? A great prophet? Is that who Jesus is? Is he an angel? Jehovah Witnesses? A great prophet would be Islam? A really good teacher? Hindu? Buddhist? A legend in history? Yeah, he probably lived, but he was just an ordinary man. He wasn't nobody special. Is that who Jesus is? Well, let's look at John chapter 5, 22 and 23. And I encourage you to write these verses down and memorize these addresses if you have a hard time memorizing the verse, the whole verse. Because this is what it's all about, guys. As the world tries to encourage us, 
that we all worship the same God, the three main faiths, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, they all worship the same God. That's being broadcast over the airways. Uh, no, we don't. It's a lie from the pit of hell. John chapter 5.22 says this, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, and that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. So do we worship the same God, the Father? That's the question you want to get to. If we worship the same God, what are we going to do with Jesus? Because the Bible makes it perfectly clear. In the Old Testament, there's there's the Messiah coming. It's written in Hebrew. The New Testament, Greek, the Christ. It's the same verbiage, the anointed one. There is a God coming to save us from our sins. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Does that take a lot of interpretation? I think you can all make perfect sense of that. So if we say that, oh, we serve the same God, but Jesus is less than God, then that's your answer right there. No, sorry, we don't worship the same God. I'm not going to argue your Mormonism. I'm not going to argue about Jehovah's Witness. I don't need to spend years and years and years studying Islam. Let's just get to Jesus. Let's just cut right to the chase. Who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? Let's just talk about that. I don't have to love you for years. Hopefully you're going to turn to God. No, let's get it on the table and plant those seeds, the word of God. Faith comes through hearing, hearing by the word of God. Now let's look at 1 John 2, 22. So this is pretty easy to remember that the address because you got 522 and then you go to 1 John 2, 22. And I said to Tom, I said, Tom, would you do me a favor and would you read a few scriptures if I give them to you? And he said, yes, I will. I go, great. And I gave him 1 John 2, 22 and 23. And I said, Tom, this is going to offend you. Because he told me that he was a Catholic that transferred over to Mormonism. And I didn't say this, but that's going from the frying pan to the fire. I mean, didn't get you any closer to God. 1 John 2, 22 says, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Well, he's not God. Jesus isn't God. Well, then you're a liar, because he is God. He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Notice, who denies the Father and the Son. Not just, well, yeah, we worship the same God, but you know, we just worship a different Jesus. No, 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 we don't even worship the same God. There's no such thing as a different Jesus. There's only one Jesus. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. And I said to Tom, Tom, I love you enough to tell you your eternity is at stake. Forget your stake that's going to burn. Your eternity is at stake. God loves you. There is only one God. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Because that's what it's all about as we look back into Psalm 91. That's what it's all about in simplicity. You see, when you and I spend time with our Heavenly Father, we're going to realize that He is watching over us and our ways, which will do what? Build our trust in you. As we look at Psalm 91, verse 2. My God, my God, not my temple, not my religion, not my pastor, not my priest. No, my God, in Him will I trust. Build our trust in him and not not in a building, 
or a religious system. Now, is there anything wrong with having nice buildings? Don't even go down that road. No, there's nothing wrong with that per se. You always want to get to the aspect of worship. Do we worship the building? Do we worship what's inside the building, the icons, the statues, uh, the priest, uh, the rabbi, whoever it might be? Do we elevate them where they shouldn't be elevated? The pat- No, you don't elevate me. I'm just like you. We're all the same sinners, saved by grace. Saints now, going to heaven, but unfortunately we still sin. I sinned this past week. Did anybody else sin this past week? A few of you are not raising your hands, so maybe you should come up here. <laughs> or maybe you've fallen asleep already. Verse 3. Surely he will deliver you, shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. The old-fashioned ways of hunting birds was with a trap. Remember that. It was with a trap. And this is very applicable to us today. You see, the Father will deliver us from our spiritual enemy. Jesus taught his disciples this principle as one commonly called the Our Father in Matthew 6.13. He says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You see, the Holy Spirit is more than able to deliver us from the snares of the devil. You'll find that in Ephesians 6.11, that the enemy is trying to trip us up, trying to entrap us. We just need to be in the word so that we do not become deceived. What is the enemy's number one tactic? It's Revelation 12.9. Write it down, memorize it. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Notice, very specific, so we know exactly who's being talked about here. He was cast out to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Right now, I don't know why God allows this, but God does allow this. He allows them to have access to heaven. But at one point in in eternity future, during the tribulation, he is no longer going to have access to the throne room of God. The rest of the verse goes on. Uh, Wait a minute, there it is. Who deceives the whole world. I'm sorry. Verse is right there. So what's his number one tactic? Deception. Deception. And you've heard me say this before. A little bit of horse manure and a pan of brownies doesn't make me want to eat the brownies. Just a little bit. It's not that big a deal, right? Just a little bit. Mm. Who deceives the whole world. That's his number one job, to deceive you, to deceive me. Well, we worship the same God. They knock on your door. Well, we worship the same God. Oh, okay, all right. Oh, would you like a Book of Mormon? Oh, okay. You know, you don't want to offend them. Okay, no. No, offend them. Offend them in love. Say, no, I love you enough to tell you that book is from the pit of hell. You got a Bible on you, don't you? King James Version? Yes, I do. Let's see that. Let's pull that out. Let's talk about that. And you go to these verses, guys, in a loving way, compassionate way, but very firm way. This is who we worship. You worship the devil. It's that simple. Satan wants to deceive us. So guys, we have to be aware of his tactics. In Psalm 91, 4, He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. And here's this beautiful picture of a bird with its young, as the mother protects her little ones by covering them with her feathers until they are old enough to fend for themselves. Now, obviously... You can only take the physical picture so far because God does not leave us to fend for ourselves but gives us the shield of faith to stop the fiery darts of the evil one. 
and a bulwark. Notice that word there in verse 4, the bulwark, as you look it up. You could equate that to the breastplate of righteousness, which surrounds us as the enemy tries to really press in. So with this imagery, we need to see that we have a part in the process, that spiritual protective process. If we put down our shields, if I put down my shield, I open myself up to all kinds of various painful darts. If I lay aside my breastplate and try to do it on my own, I will find myself battered and bruised spiritually. No, I must put on the spiritual pieces of armor. And you'll find those if you're not familiar with this. Please write this down in Ephesians six fourteen through 17. So that I am always ready for the battle that will, it's a guarantee, it's not if, it's when, will ensue, will take place. Verses 5 and 6. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. You see, fear is one of the enemy's main tactics, and yet even in the darkest hours of our lives, God will always be there to illuminate our lives and to eliminate any fear that the enemy may try to bring against us. You see, John in his epistle tells us that perfect love casts out fear. And that word perfect there is mature. It's mature. Do we really believe that God can deliver us? Do we really believe that? Again, this takes time, spending time with God's word as we read on in verses 7 through 10. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it not shall come near you. Only with your eyes you shall look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Now, some read these verses and apply them to mean that no sickness or illness could, should ever come into or upon the believer. Let's look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Again, remember, as the psalmist was writing this, he was in captivity. The temple is gone. His nation is gone. It could not get any bleaker. You see, when we study the whole word of God, it's, it's quite obvious that this is not a correct interpretation. Psalm 139 says this in verse 13. And I'm going to actually read it out of the NLT. So if you're there and you want to follow along, fine. But if not, it's it's a little different. I don't want you to get confused. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in my utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. And here's the key. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. The psalmist would have had this psalm. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Again, that's key that the psalmist would have had this psalm in all the stress and everything that he has gone here through. And so as we read the whole word of God, we come to know that God is in control and that no one misses their appointment with death. So we can have confidence when things are happening around us that God has a plan even in the midst of the what? 
the terror, the arrow, the pestilence, or the destruction. If God wants me to get through, if God, if my time is not up, I am going to get through that, and I do not need to fear what's going on around me. Now, unfortunately, we don't want to go to the other extreme and tempt the Lord our God by doing something really silly. Well, I'm going to jump out of this building and everything will be fine because God's going to protect me because it goes right into our next verses. It just flows. The word of God flows as you study the word of God. Because the psalmist writes this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Does that sound familiar? Look at Matthew chapter 4. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Very, very interesting here. Here the psalmist writes some verses that we're familiar with. And in Matthew chapter 4, after 40 days of fasting, Jesus is in the wilderness and he's being tempted by the devil. And what's interesting is in the second temptation, Satan quoted the word of God. Satan quoted the word of God. So will the enemy use the word of God against you, against me? Absolutely. But let's look at it. Because Jesus says, Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Did you, did you see something important there? Did you hear something? I know you don't have it right next to each other, so you might not have saw it. But Satan left out a key portion of the verse. He left out a very key portion of the verse. It's, the verse says, to keep you in all your ways. To keep you in all your ways. He left that out. So he quoted the word of God, but he left out the will of God. You see, if I'm in the will of God, I don't need to fear the pestilence. I don't need to fear the stock market. I don't need to fear the president. I don't need to fear the chaos that's happening in our society. I just got to keep loving God and loving Jesus and show all these other people that God loves them and God has a plan and a purpose and not get on the bandwagon of hatred, of division, of dissension. So it's easy to take something out of context. If I'm following after the ways of my father, I'm not going to try to challenge my father. And that's why Jesus quoted word perfect, the word of God, when he said, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Quote the word of God, guys. Memorize the word of God. Know the address. Open up your Bible. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. Go back to the simplicity of quoting the word of God. What does the Bible say? If we draw near to God, the enemy must flee. And I draw near to God through the proclamation of Jesus, through Jesus' word in my private devotional time, through memorization, through meditation, through rehearsing it, and that will work for you as well. But again, we need to be a part of the process. We just can't put our Bible, as I so often say, under your pillow and hope that we learn something through osmosis. It's not going to happen by sleeping on your Bible. Verses 13 through 16, You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you shall trample underfoot. 
Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. You see, even when evil comes my way, God will be there and grant me salvation. And so the psalmist sets his heart upon God. So God promised him that he would answer him, protect him, deliver him, and honor him. And if you think about this psalmist living in Babylon, he saw all of those things. He saw the pestilence. He saw the battle. He saw the hatred. He was carried away captive, most likely. If not, he was born in captivity. If it was later into the captivity, and his parents told him about what took place. Either way, he had practical experience of what was going on. That is pretty good stuff that we just read. And in the Jewish mind, children, grandchildren, even great-grandchildren were a sign of a long and blessed life. But not everyone has a long life. Not everyone has children or grandchildren. Does that mean that they're not blessed? No. Those who have a personal relationship with Jesus will have eternity with him. And as long as we read, in, as we read in our previous psalm, this lifespan is only a few hours compared to eternity, as we read in Psalm 90. So guys, even this week, as we read what the psalmist wrote, while in captivity, it's very applicable to today. Don't be afraid to stand up to a person who comes and knocks on your door, or calls you on the phone, or pulls you aside at work, during break or lunch, not during work time, but to lovingly explain to them, no, we do not worship the same God. I'm not politically correct. I'm biblically correct. I love you enough to tell you that. I don't want you to go to hell. Guys, you know, even in Christianity, there's many Christian churches now under the banner of Christianity. Now, 2018, that are saying there is no hell. There is no hell. A loving God would never send anyone to hell. That's a true statement. God doesn't send anybody to hell. He is loving. But there is a hell. And if we choose to go there because we stiff arm God, because the Holy Spirit is wooing all of mankind, and that's hard for us to comprehend, but the Bible says it, so I believe it. He is wooing all of mankind to the cross. And if they reject it, it's on them. It's not on God. God gives every person ample opportunity to receive Jesus as their Savior. Again, I don't know how he does it because I'm not God. But the Bible says he does it, so I'm going to trust God. Psalm 92, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. Again, let's look at a few words there. Good means pleasant or agreeable. You see, there's nothing that works better than to sing praises unto God in the midst of our trials, tribulations or troubles it's just amazing how that works to give thanks for what we do have and not complain about what we don't have to declare how much god loves us instead of focusing on those who don't love us to take a few moments at night to look back and see the faithfulness of god for that day You see, we are so blessed to have this opportunity as a majority of people do not have a clue about the saving grace of God. But you and I do every single day on an instrument of 10 strings on the lute and on the harp with harmonious sounds. 
instrument of ten strings. Now, many people get hung up with instruments that are used during the music time instead of focusing on the words that are being sung. You see, it's not about the instrument. It's about the heart. And as you read the Psalms, you're going to find many instruments. Many, many instruments are encouraged to play before the Lord. So you just want to read the whole word of God and realize it's okay. Even if it's not, in, if, even if there is not an instrument though, there can still be a heart of praise. You guys have heard this often, but I'll just say it for maybe somebody who hasn't. When we went to Egypt, I don't know, about nine years ago on a missionary trip, they didn't have all the stuff that we have. They would maybe have one djembe, if even that. Some of the home fellowships that we visit, nothing. Nothing. They had no instruments, and yet they would praise for half hour, 45 minutes to an hour. And guys, it was the same time of year as right now that we went. And they didn't have air conditioning in their homes. Their air conditioning was a fan. And one night I remember we were, we were in this one room, it was a living room, and we were dying. I mean, sweat was pouring off of us. And there was a fan on the ceiling that wasn't working. And so they stopped the meeting. They graciously stopped the meeting because they saw what was happening to us. And some guy gets up there and he starts messing with the wires and sparks are flying. He's just messing with the wires and he finally gets it right and the fan comes on. Oh, thank you, God. Now it's only 105 in here. Praise God. But they were ready to worship the Lord, guys. It wasn't about the chairs, the carpet, the air conditioning. It was about God. We came all the way from America to encourage them in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were so thankful, so thankful, and they didn't change for us. They did that every single week. It wasn't because we were there. They didn't put on a show for us. That was how they worshipped. Verses 4 through 6. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. You see, for some, it's truly hard for them to grasp how wonderful the Father is, but to this man who points out who has truly blessed him even in the midst of hardships. Again, let's look at some words in verse 4 there. Have made me glad, have made me glad to rejoice, to brighten up. I will triumph. It means to overcome. And great are, those two words mean to grow, to magnify, to do great things, to understand. It means to discern, to consider. Guys, are we doing that throughout the day or throughout the evening? You know, when you go to bed tonight, I would encourage you to rehearse the day. God, thank you for breakfast. Thank you for lunch. And oh, by the way, God, thank you for that dinner we had. And for the air conditioning, God, thank you for the air conditioning. And thank you that the car got me from point A to point B. And you just start rattling things off. And it's amazing how your countenance will change if you have a negative countenance. Or if you're battling depression or anxiety, which is real, how do you overcome that? Praising God. Adoration. Thanksgiving. Does that mean you'll never be depressed again your whole life? I'm not saying that. You may have to battle with that the rest of your life. I'm just saying that it will help you overcome that and get your eyes on God once again. He is worthy of all praise. Verses 7 through 9, When the wicked spring up like the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is they that may be destroyed forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever, but for behold your enemies, O Lord, for behold your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity, iniquity shall be scattered. You see, the enemies of the Lord appeared to flourish in many ways, but in the end, they will perish and they will be separated from us for all of eternity. 
And that's a nice thought, but yet it's a bummer that people will not accept God's saving grace. For you and I, the Lord is seated upon the throne and no one will dethrone him. Absolutely no one. And so as we go out into our workplace this week, you want to take that thought with you. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. You're not. How can I help you get there? How can I show the love of Christ? How can I do something to help you realize there's a God who loves you? Not, I'm going to heaven, you're not. Nah, 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 nah. No, 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 no. How can I help you? How can I help you? In verses 10 through 15, But my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eye also has seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit of an old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. As we read this portion of the psalm, it sounds like David wrote it, but again, we don't know, so we'll leave that as it is. But it was a psalm written prior to the captivity. We can see that. The enemies of God were put down and the people of God were flourishing. And something very interesting here, the Judean date palm was a symbol for the nation of Israel in ancient times. It was the honey of the land of milk and honey that came from the forest of date palms that covered the land from the Sea of Galilee. And we're going in March. So we'll actually take this route from the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the Dead Sea. And it also made Jericho, does that sound familiar? Jericho famous. A date palm also appears on ancient coins and was believed to promote longevity, cure disease and infections. The cedars of Lebanon that we just read about were prized above all other trees. Their fine wood was strong, straight, and wonderfully scented. It was always the first choice for any temple or palace, and top value in trade was paid for it. They are a symbol of strength, stability, and longevity. You see, the author was obviously seeing the use of these trees in the nation of Israel. Just notice in verse 13, those who are planted... Those who are planted in the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord was not there. The enemies have been destroyed. This was, this was before the captivity. Those who are planted means to transplant. To transplant. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord. Not just your house. And also spiritually, I'm not, I don't think I'm taking this too far. But we were born into the world. And as unbelievers, we were going to hell in a worldly way. Once we received Jesus, I was transplanted. And now I am heading to heaven. Totally different. Also shall flourish. It means to break forth as a bud, to bloom. You see, those who seek after the Lord will grow in his attributes and will bring forth fruit accordingly. A person might think of this concept of being planted in the house of the Lord as a church building. We just read in the Psalm 90, it's not. It's not 91. But we know that it's referring to a personal relationship. Verse 14, flourishing. They shall be fresh and flourishing. It means to be green. In verse 15, the word upright there, it means to be straight or correct. And, and the word no unrighteousness, the word unrighteousness there is injustice. You see, those who seek after the Lord will proclaim his righteousness or what we'd call today justice. Why? Because God is perfect in his judgments, guys. God is perfect. 
He doesn't make any mistakes due to the lack of information. He has all the information needed and he will make a perfect judgment based upon that information. And I thank God, and I know you do as well, that Jesus covered all of our sins so that we do not have to be concerned about being judged according to our works when we stand before him. No, God sees every believer, every believer, as holy and unblameable in his sight. Praise God for that. Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word, and that as we study your word from Genesis to Revelation, we can learn how to deal with our neighbors. They're, they're, they're such nice-looking people. They keep their yard so well, and they dress so nice. And they dress, they drive nice cars. And they have pretty looking kids. But Father, with part from Jesus, they're going to hell. So don't let us be deceived that everything's okay when it's not. But to lovingly, lovingly share the word of God with our neighbors and coworkers and family members and friends. When that opportunity crosses our path, Father, to, to not give in to the fear, the enemy's, one of the enemy's main tactics, to not give in to fear, but to proclaim the truth in love. That we'd be bold. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Even as we go out this week, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might have those phone conversations or face-to-face conversations, whatever the case, whatever you allow to happen, that we'll be ready to proclaim, no, there's only one God. He has only one Son, Jesus, and there's only one Holy Spirit who is drawing all of mankind to the cross. Use us this week, Lord, to help people understand the simplicity of the gospel to remove themselves from religious practices, from buildings, thinking that God dwells in a building. No, he doesn't. We already read it. So many other verses that tell us that. No, Lord, help us to lift their eyes to heaven. And that is a personal relationship with you. You know, as the saints are praying, maybe you're here this morning and and something's finally clicked. And you're, think, you're sitting there thinking that that made sense. I, I don't like it. But it made sense. Maybe that's you. And maybe this morning, as there are people around you right now that love you and are praying for your soul, maybe you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior this morning and move away from religion and move into that personal relationship. Or maybe this is the first time you step foot in a Christian church and you're going, wow, this is crazy. God loves you. God loves you and desires a relationship with you. He doesn't want you to become religious. He wants you to have a relationship. So if you would like to receive Jesus right now, you just pray this prayer after me. And if you are sincere, you will become a child of God. Just pray this simple prayer. God, I need Jesus. I need a relationship. I don't need religion. So God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that I'm here. I'm thankful that you love me. 
just the way I am. And that as I submit to you, you will replant me. You will transform me. And so I surrender my life to you right now, God. And I invite Jesus to be my Savior. I invite your Holy Spirit to come into my life right now. I have to admit, I don't understand what that means. But I'm going to start trusting you. That you will show me what it means. As I read my Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you will show me what it means. Thank you, God, that I can truly now call you Father, my Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for salvation, the free gift of salvation. And Lord, we thank you for this week. And Lord, as we go out into our mission field or if someone comes to us at our door, help us to be ready, help us to be loving, help us to be gracious, help us to comfort, but also help us to be firm that there is only one way, John fourteen six, and it's only through Jesus. Use us this week, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? God bless you. If you prayed that prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray with you. Guys, I encourage you to read your Bibles, to memorize those scriptures. Somebody's going to talk to you this week. They need to know the basics. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Any prayer for anything else, please come up. We'd love to pray for you.